It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA Finals starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs on FanDuel. Find out what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available. And listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older. 18 and older in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Visible Wireless. Want a wireless provider that always brings its A-game? Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. And as if that wasn't already a huge win, you could use promo code RINGER20 to receive $20 off your first month just for listening to us talk about basketball. Not bad, right? You don't need more than one line of wireless to save. Just switch to Visible at Visible.com and use promo code RINGER20. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. What's up, everybody? It's Austin Rivers from Off Guard, and I've got some exciting news. Off Guard, hosted by me and my guy, Pasha Hagigi, is officially moving to our own podcast feed. We are now dropping two shows every week. Me and Pasha go way back and talk so much hoops already that we figured it was time to fire up the mics and let you in on these conversations. Every week, Pasha and myself will hit on the biggest stories happening around the league. Tap into the show twice a week on our new Off Guard feed on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Group Chat. I am Justin Barrier and joining me, Rob Mahoney, Big Waz. Boys, the season has officially started. Rob, are you as ready for some action as James Harden reportedly is by showing up to work and not being allowed to work? Yeah, I showed up for this pod today. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go. And you told me right before we started recording, you didn't even want me to come with you guys. So what, what exactly is the deal here? No, I think you just got to do more reps on binge mode first <laughs> so that when you come up here, you're you're absolutely refreshed. You feel me? I feel you. I, I definitely don't feel like I'm fully in regular season shape yet, but we, we are being eased in gently, as is custom. Pretty light opening night in terms of games. And then t- tonight, Wednesday night, is for the real sickos. Yes. The real, you know... <laughs> Buzzing between games, 10 or 11 games on the dial. This is this is when it gets pretty real. And honestly, this is when it gets pretty fun. So what you're saying is you do not need a ramp up process in order to get up <laughs> for tonight's slate of games. <laughs> I don't personally, but look, you, at some point in any trade request saga, you have to just step back and really admire the artistry of what's happening here. You know, the Sixers are doing the classic, like, we invited you, but we didn't think you were actually going to show up kind of maneuver. And then Harden showing up with just the cadence to not get in any more serious trouble. It, it's inspiring stuff. Genuinely inspiring stuff. Also, I like the move of you're not traveling with the team, i.e. you're basically not part of the team right now. But it's not a, oh, we sent you home, because that's now illegal. You can't send a player home who's eligible, who's you know, ready to play. It's like this nice little gray area they get to manipulate by saying, well, he didn't do training camp. He hasn't practiced that much. He needs to, you know, get his his body activated (laughs) with NBA speed again. And so Mm -hmm. it's pretty brilliant, honestly. Well, as we all know, the training camp for a veteran playoff bound team, (laughs) incredibly rigorous stuff. So Harden was definitely missing out on a lot in terms of those reps. I mean, in everywhere that is in Miami, we could say that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, what this situation needed is people now fighting over logistics and semantics and like what is showing up for work versus what is not mm-hmm. showing up for work and what you're allowed to do and not do. So, uh, but but shouts to Rob, uh, shuttle, uh, subtle leaving on a jet plane reference just right off the bat. I mean, we're, 
Wait, actually, did I? Did I walk into a leaving on a jet All plane? All bags are packed. He's oh. ready to go. I, I mean, that's... Un- that's Unfortunately, he's not actually allowed to leave on a jet plane is, is the one sticking point. That's like such a reference. It's just colo- like that's John Denver fully integrating into the consciousness of Americana at this point. So I, I guess you're right. I guess I did kind of waltz into that one. Yeah, you're a man of the people. Uh, we'll get into some look ahead stuff for, for late in the week, but we have convened here today to talk about opening night. Uh, a, a pretty excellent slate even though things got a little messy. Uh, the first game in particular w- was really interesting. I have to say, though, like it was a bit of a weird vibe to start because I'm not used to ring night happening in the middle of the day, especially uh, Pacific time in L.A. It was like bright and sunshiny out when the Nuggets then received their rings. Um, but I guess it didn't ultimately matter because unlike a lot of teams in that situation, Rob, uh, the Nuggets just did not skip a beat, Nikola Jokic in particular. Well, do we have any sense of why it was scheduled this way? Because less important than what it was like on the West Coast, in Denver local time, that's very like early six. for a yeah. celebration of a championship team. And and by all by all accounts, that arena was packed and rocking and the energy in the building looked great over the broadcast. Like, no, no shots fired at everyone who clearly showed up, but you're kind of you're kind of pushing the schedule a little bit for people getting off work to get to the arena in time, especially when all it was in fa- like all it was in support of was so that we could have two West games. Like why why do we not have Buck Sixers or Celtics Heat or or whatever you want to run in that early slot and let the Nuggets play the Lakers or whoever you would like to run later so that we can actually get this thing like a full primetime celebration. Well, because like certain people who are involved with the planning of this program, Rob, the networks hate the Nuggets because they don't do numbers, right? And so, <laughs> I, I so you're think talking about Ben Cruz. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, hey, Ben Cruz is not exempt from that dig. <laughs> I, think, I think that's just what it is. But also, to me, I looked at it as almost like homecoming, right? Where uh, the team schedules a bum to celebrate homecoming or a team that they know they're going to smoke, uh, in which case the Nuggets were like, look, let's let's just run this as if this was game five of a best of nine series in which we still sweep these cats. Um, and a lot of the themes from last year's uh, conference finals played out all over again in like quite hilarious ways, which I'm sure we're going to get into. But Denver just looked like the same team, just impossible to stop when Jokic is out there and doing just enough on defense against the Lakers' two biggest stars to get the W in the end. Yeah, Jokic was incredible. Just stepped right out of the horse stables. Like, the shot was as pure as it's ever been. He just looked incredibly comfortable out there. I want to talk a little bit about Aaron Gordon, though, because, like, what is the opposite of the disease of more? Is it, like, the advantage (laughs) Of more because this guy seems like he came off of just what seemed to be a, a quite a fun summer for himself. He walked into the arena in shorts and like a, a vest with nothing else on underneath it, uh, which I respect, if, especially if you've just won the title. Uh, and it seems like he's almost stepped into a role where like they're now allowing him to do a lot of different things maybe that he didn't have to, or at the very least playing with a confidence offensively uh, that he probably didn't before. He looked great last night. Yeah, I think most of the stuff he did was not exactly new, either for the Nuggets version of Aaron Gordon. I mean, that's we saw that all playoffs (laughs) long. It's like clockwork at this point. It's so, like, his game is so lean and so punishing at this point. I I just really love what his game has become over the course of his career, and it fits Denver so perfectly. Like, there there is a time for finesse, and Aaron Gordon understands that there's a time to just, like, bowl people out of your way. And it's exactly what the Nuggets need in a lot of those, like, dump off or cut or driving situations. And he's really cracked the code on like how to be the most effective version of himself. I don't think that's a huge surprise if you've, especially over the last couple of years, heard him do interviews uh, or read many interviews involving Aaron Gordon. Like that dude, he has real perspective. Like nothing mm. gets blown out of proportion. Nothing mm. is a bigger deal than it is. He has such like a clear sense that there is something here that is bigger than him in terms of what the Nuggets are doing and exactly how he slots into it. And so to see that play out exactly in this kind of fashion against the Lakers in the playoffs, against every team in the playoffs, and then here in a brand new season where he's just delivering so much of what they need. I I mean, he's just, you really can't say enough about how perfect a fit he's been there. He's the ring inside the ring, you know? 
It's like he's the extra that you didn't know that you had, but oh my God, this there's this extra awesome thing here. Yeah. I love that. Um that little gold ring. I saw I saw that on Instagram. I was quite quite impressed. I think the opposite of the disease of more, Justin, is the hunger for more. That's mm-hmm. a Lloyd Banks album um, for all my G-Unit heads out yeah. there. But more importantly, honestly, is that this hunger is rewarded by the biggest dog on the team. Um, his willingness to share the pie, share the steak, if you will, if we're going to um, keep this dog reference going. Um, and a guy like Eric Gordon, who's got that dog in him, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, he's he's enjoying that. Uh, and I think that's what makes this team special. I think that's why I was so high on them last year. I think that's why I'm just as high, if not even higher on them this year, is that I know these guys are absolutely playing for each other at every single moment. On both ends of the court, how often do we see that? This selflessness um, on offense and on defense, right? Picking up for each other for their deficiencies. Because, look, a guy like Jokic, a guy like Murray, these guys are limited in a lot of ways of what they can do on defense. But the guys around them are picking them up. And that's why I think we have a well-balanced group that's primed to make a great run this season. We have a well We as, as, as basketball viewing public justice. Uh-huh. Just, just relax. Uh-huh. Just please, please well, relax. I have to yeah. say, just so Justin is our <laughs> usual punching bag where this stuff is concerned. All things nuggets are concerned. But I went to the old ringer.com and I looked mm. at our NBA entrance survey mm. and how many of our wonderful colleagues picked the Denver Nuggets to return, not, not to win the championship, but just to return to the NBA finals. There were eight of us, myself included, and Justin included on that panel. Only one other person out of eight total people picked the Nuggets to return to the finals, and that's Zach Cram. So because you guys are all fucking psychos who like think that nobody actually <laughs> respects the Nuggets. Nobody is saying that the Nuggets is back. This is just like a long-running bit in which you guys are like pretending oh, like no, no, the, no. The world doesn't reflect. No, what we're actually confirming that we're not psychos. Yeah, Justin. I'm saying three out of only, eight people don't think the Nuggets are going back to the finals. No, 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 no. Three out of eight, me, Justin, and Zach are the only people who picked the Nuggets to return right, to exactly. the finals. Me, Everyone else, oh, I see. I Everyone see. else picked, picked the Lakers. Our friend Mike Pinnock picked the Clippers because look, here we are again. Sick in the head. And Danny Chow picked the Suns to go back to the finals. Which look, I, I understand the cases for all of the above, but three out of eight for a team that does this to one of their prime rivals in the conference, and I think we'll continue to do this. Like this matchup against the Lakers, this is kind of what it is. And it's the Lakers struggling offensively to keep up with the, what the Nuggets can do. Did you guys see how quickly I defaulted to like defensive? <laughs> yeah, 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 I know. It's, it's your classic Northeastern yeah. psycho bro. It's, it's like that quick. The, the aggro Northeastern bro who is just at every single turn wanting to bite somebody's head off. It's just yeah. so obvious. But no, but back to I'm ready to, to go. I'm ready to scrap. I love it. Back to, back to Rob's point about the Lakers though. Um, I thought it was interesting that LeBron just straight up He's not doing anything on offense, meaning LeBron of old where his imprint is on every single possession where he's orchestrating. Not to say he's not helping them organize, but he's not initiating all of this offense. They're not running the entire offense through him. That combined with him playing 29 minutes, this is a guy who is lowering his workload, at least for now. Um, We'll see how successful it can be as far as, you know, their seeding and stuff in the Western Conference, but this first game, any indication against the world freaking champs, a team that you might want to wrestle control of the game against, um, LeBron did the opposite, which I thought was very, very telling. Yeah, it was a return to form for the Nuggets and unfortunately a little bit of a return to where we last left off with the Lakers. They made all of these different roster adjustments or at the very least brought back a lot of the guys they brought in uh, around the trade deadline, made a couple uh, new additions, Torian Prince, who we could talk about later, I thought did a good job in that starting lineup playing over uh, Jared Vanderbilt, who wasn't available there. But yeah, it was it was discon- it was a little concerning, if only because one, the minutes without LeBron also still an issue. D'Angelo Russell looked like crap. Gabe Vincent, who we talked about uh, leading into the season, yeah. didn't do much of anything. Invisible, and also, invisible in this game for Gabe Vincent, really. 
Yeah, really bad one for him. And then we got the full Anthony Davis experience where he comes out, looks like he's ready to make an MVP run, uh, looks pretty incredible in the first half. Then it seemed like he cut his hand or something happened. And then all of a sudden he just disappeared. I just cannot remember a single other Anthony Davis play after halftime. Uh, he did not make a shot after halftime. Oh, for six. Didn't and score so, a point. No points. Yes. No yeah, points. from from the two forty six mark of the second quarter. So finishing out this a little bit of the second, and then all his time in the second half. That's about twenty minutes of playing time in which Anthony Oof. Davis did not score a single point. I I just don't know what happened. Yeah, I, I mean, like, he had about seven isolation possessions in the first half. He had zero in the second. Um, and the bottom line is if the Lakers are going to beat this team with any level of consistency, AD has to beat his matchup one-on-one. Um, all of this chatter about Jokic being, you know, the worst defender since God knows what. He's so terrible. How are the Nuggets ever going to do anything meaningful with a terrible big man defender? AD... All-NBA, top 75 of all time. A lot of people thought possibly a dark horse MVP candidate. He's got to be able to beat that guy more than zero times in the second half of a game, man. That's just what it boils down to. And I know sometimes we get a little bit too simplistic um, when it comes to, like, you know, points. And it's uh, some of it is just watch it. It just doesn't look like he's attacking this guy in any meaningful way. And so... Yeah, I think the Lakers are going to have a problem against this individual team if AD can't make this this matchup a little bit, you know, more favorable for the Lakers, right? Not that he's going to win it, but goddamn, don't get blown out of it. And I thought Jokic had a lot better chance stopping Anthony Davis than vice versa when those two were matched up. Some of that is like the way this game was officiated. I, I think you could look at some of the Lakers drives, AD, Austin Reeves, some of these guys were, were trying to create contact and draw fouls, weren't necessarily getting them. Those are going to come some nights and not others. That's fine. But overall, the ease with which Jokic was scoring on AD on some of these possessions, I know we saw some of that in the Western Conference Finals, but Justin, I know you and I flagged the same play in the second quarter where Jokic basically just took like two or three dribbles back and down with ease, little up and under. It, like it just, a chair. It was, he just it moved them. It was <laughs> eye-opening how easy it was. And yeah. that's not great when you're talking about maybe the best defensive player in the league trying to match up with Nikola Jokic. And it's obviously the crux of what so, like so much of what Denver runs. Like there were, there were so many possessions where I was like, oh, like Jokic probably could have taken that three, probably could have taken that shot. And yet he still ends up with 29 points anyway and runs a hyper-efficient offense that gets everybody involved. It's, it's sensational. Yeah, AD looked great early, and I think there's definitely a correlation between how aggressive he is versus like how successful he is. But I think we've talked about this, honestly, ad nauseum at this point. Like You could only do so much against Jokic. You really have to be able to score on the other end. And like the Lakers just didn't have the punch, and like a lot of it does ultimately have to come down uh, to AD providing that. And unfortunately, like everything for the Lakers over the past few years has been pushing... AD toward the spotlight, LeBron in particular, it, the noise has been very loud this offseason about him having to be that guy finally. And we are getting more and more signs with that, including LeBron only playing 29 minutes in this game. Now the game wrapped a little bit earlier, and so he probably could have stretched that into the 30s. But mm -hmm. Darvin Ham was basically said that LeBron's going to be playing around this sort of minute load over the season. So AD, some of these other guys they brought in have to do more because LeBron's not going to be there. Yeah, I think in a playoff series, you could expect LeBron to be that high 30s guy, close to 40s guy, minutes-wise. I, I think he'll still be able to do that. But when he's dealt with the amount of injuries that he's dealt with the past two or three seasons, I understand the precaution that they're taking with him, right? Um, I just wonder how good they can be throughout the course of a season with him just playing that little. Obviously, we expect AD to be better, Um I, you know, and again, the reason why I bring up the surrounding characters, right, like Austin Reeves, like D'Angelo Russell, because it's going to be on them to do the things that we've come to expect LeBron to be doing on a game by game basis. And I don't like what do you call because we've all made the jokes about D'Lo's contract being signed simply so it can be traded. Um, what do and he, you know, ostensibly they're trying to showcase 
<laughs> what he does. What do you call a showcase when it's just absolutely falling apart? Like, it's like <laughs> if you were showcasing an art piece and there were, like, cigarette burns in it. Like, what is happening with this D-Lo showcase? Do you guys see the showcase working going forward? I don't. <laughs> <laughs> This feels like, to, to put it in real estate terms, there are some houses you put on the market and you don't allow inspection. And I feel like D'Lo is, is that kind of that kind of player. Like, you, you don't want anyone to look too closely. Uh, I thought there was, there was a very telling clip that was going around online during and after this game where LeBron and D'Lo were kind of like conferencing over on the sideline talking about how to execute the pick and roll. And LeBron is yeah. saying, like, hit me at that elbow because... You know, you don't have to make the home run play. Like I can survey the floor, I can see everything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna redirect this possession if you just hit me at the elbow. The next time the Lakers run it, LeBron gets to the elbow. D'Angelo Russell immediately pulls up for a long, awful pull, like pull up three, misses it. Yeah, and that you know he had some, he had some nice moments, but the on ball stuff for D'Lo was not great. He was getting hunted on the other side of the ball. Like Steph Curry is trying to, uh, or not sorry, Steph Curry, I'm getting my games mixed up. Jamal Murray was hunting him in some of those lineups where it was like Jamal and the bench and they were desperate for offense. They're like, oh, let's just get D'Lo in this pick and roll and, and we'll get something good out of that. And guess what? They were right. Like he, he is a bit of a vulnerability no matter how you slice it. Yeah, I guess the one advantage for D'Lo is he probably won't get pushed much from Gabe Vincent if he continues to play like this. Minus 19, he looked very small in this game. Also didn't hit a three-pointer. D'Lo four for 12 overall. Yeah, I just, I, I, they need an upgrade at that position. The one advantage with D'Lo is that his contract is only two years. And I guess if you want to be an optimist, it is priced to move. It just seems like the type of money that you could aggregate with one or two other players and then get a, the sort of help that you need. But I don't know. I mean, it's it's the first game. We should say that right yes. off the bat. Yes. Disclaimer Absolutely. to all of this. This is like really early. We're really, I think, overall pretty high on, on the Lakers. But what yes. we've been saying all offseason is like, we kind of expect them to get to a ceiling at a certain point, and the Nuggets are above that ceiling. I want to yeah. counterbalance a little bit, too, because I do think the Lakers are better equipped now to deal with the non-LeBron minutes, which were a disaster in this game. Yep. But overall, I think they're better equipped to deal with them. And if LeBron ends up missing time with injury, I think they're better equipped to deal with that. They're just not better equipped to do it against the Nuggets. And they're going to mm-hmm. look they're going to look really good against the vast majority of teams. This matchup is just tough for them. And I, I thought, you know, the, as far as the LeBron piece of it in particular, one of the reasons he was so important to them was he was so important to their pace. This was a very fast offense last season. They're going to try to be fast-paced again. When LeBron was getting them out on the break, whether with hit-ahead passes or by running himself, their offense was really good and competitive, and they were hanging around in the game. They were making runs. And LeBron, I, it, it should be noted, is just maybe the best ever at timing his steps through contact, like driving into a one-on-three break, absorbing hits, still finishing. He was unbelievable. Like The fact that he's still doing that at this age is what is keeping the Lakers' hopes alive, and it's why you keep his minutes down in the hopes that he is still that guy in April and May, and you know if all goes well for the Lakers into June. Uh, anything else in this one, Shabbat, to you guys? Uh, no, that's about it, man. Um, I think, again, if the Lakers can get to something that's between prime usage LeBron, um, and what he did today, I, I personally think they will be much better off for it. Um, but I can understand why they don't necessarily push on that too early. Again, this is game one of freaking 82. So, you know, this time, folks. Yep. Did we want to talk about Torian Prince at all, about like that kind of decision that the Lakers will ultimately have as far as like who to start there? Sure, yeah. So I couldn't tell if they want to start Prince long-term or if this was because Vanderbilt was out. I personally like the look with, with Prince just because he gives them the additional stretch. He was really good in this game. 18 points, four for six from three. Uh, looked like he fit right away. I, I guess, Rob, what do you think in terms of just like the lineup Jenga? Do you think he makes the most sense in that fifth spot? I think it makes the most sense to do it matchup by matchup where when you yeah. can get away with it defensively, having Prince out there for the shooting is is crucial. Not only because you know he hit a bunch of shots in this game, that's great, but it was also abundantly clear that the Lakers expect him and trust him to make those shots. Like they're hitting him for threes as soon as he is open, right? As soon as possible, they are looking for him, which is a meaningful thing. 
But Vanderbilt's pretty important when you're back when like when your backcourt is D'Angelo Russell and Austin Reeves. Like there's some matchups that Reeves is just not going to be suited to chase guys around, and you're going to want Vando's length there. I I would I would really like to see Darvin Ham kind of juggle between those guys. And you know maybe maybe there's even nights where Rui Hachimura is is the best option, but I don't see any reason to be married to any one role player in this rotation. As far as like you are our every night starter, right? It is I think LeBron and AD and Reeves are are staples in there. Everything else is pretty negotiable as far as I'm concerned. I think the best yeah. option is honestly Gabe Vincent for that point of attack role. But again, <laughs> not to sound like a broken record, that would put a bigger offensive creative onus on LeBron, right? Like, essentially, Gabe Vincent becomes that classic Mario Chalmers type of role where, you know, you're our point guard um, in in name only. You don't actually run this offense. And I think Gabe Vincent would be, you know, qualified to do that. Um, But again, it would put a strain on LeBron on the other end because Gabe Vincent isn't some incredible offensive hub creator. He is, you know, ancillary off the ball, hopefully when the shot is falling, making some, you know, decently tough shots. Well, the only alternative to that would be, do you really put a lot of trust in Austin Reeves and basically run him as your point guard on a lot of possessions? That feels like a lot, man. It, if, it does. if you're going to be asking him to to pick up the slack for for Braun um, on offense, I don't know. I think again, a team like the Nuggets, it's a lot of difficulties, and even Vando. Yeah. Like everybody was like, "Oh, they didn't have Vando, so that fucked everything up." It's like, guys, when Vando actually played against the Nuggets, his his offense was so non-existent that you know whatever he was contributing on defense became irrelevant. Uh, it, it made scoring so stifling and suffocating. It, it, you know, I, I, I don't think he mitigates those problems for them. And that's kind of what I mean by the Nuggets being an especially bad matchup for the Lakers. Like Reeves is going to look great against a vast majority of teams. He was okay in this game, but there are also possessions where he just got like swallowed up by the length that the Nuggets have on the floor. Like there was one possession where he tried to drive and kick and he literally just like could not get a pass around Michael Porter Jr. because of the size difference between those two guys. So there are going to be nights for all of these Laker role players. They're they're all going to have their time. You know, Darvin Ham's going to have to figure out like when do we play Jackson Hayes versus Christian Wood? When you know how much Cam <laughs> how much Cam Reddish can I get away with? There's a lot to suss out for oh, the Lakers, that's a, but that's uh, a hell of a be, job to have. They're going to be better than this, though. Yeah, that was the one thing I was going to add. Is I, I assume that they're going to get more double big going in the regular season. I almost wonder if this was like a nice show of things to let AD like go one-on-one versus Jokic. But I wonder, they made a lot of, just kicked up a lot of dust in the preseason about the double big stuff. And I wonder if AD is going to be like, all right, now that I've done that and shown that I could do that, let me go and coast for a little bit. Of- they kicked up a lot of dust in the preseason in general. And you know, AD, everything. Yes. AD, AD was a huge part of that. Like he was talking in camp about how he and LeBron were talking and they were, they were so looking forward to playing the Nuggets again. I don't know that you could do all that and then just roll into a game like this, do all that scoffing, and then just lose pretty squarely where the Denver crowd is chanting, who's your daddy who's at your you? Da- <laughs> yes, it <That> was rough. <laughs> to the point where Jamal Murray was even like, you see these guys? <laughs> this episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Jump into the NBA action with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get $200 in bonus bets, guaranteed. Plus, all customers get three months of NBA League Pass, courtesy of FanDuel when they place a $5 bet on the NBA. Honestly, it's not a bad deal. As far as odds out there, I'm really looking at the Devin Booker MVP odds. He had a really excellent first game uh, against the Golden State Warriors. He's sixth right now at plus 1400 kind of seems like Kevin Durant might be taking a back seat and this might be books here to really vault forward as a, a clear cut MVP candidate. So I really like that one. That way you can watch all the action as you bet on everything from point spreads to player props. Best of all, you'll get paid for winnings instantly. So don't miss your chance to get $200 in bonus bets plus three months of NBA league pass. Just visit fanduel.com slash ringer NBA and tip off the NBA season right. FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. All customer offer $5 NBA wager required. Limit one pass per customer across both offers. Restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See full terms for both offers at fanduel.com slash sportsbook. NBA league pass. Local blackout restrictions apply. Second game on the docket, Suns Warriors. Uh, the air kind of went out of this balloon pretty early when Bradley Beal couldn't even see, suit up for opening night. Draymond's still nursing his ankle sprain, but managed to do a full like quarter length interview with the guys on TNT while on the bench in sunglasses indoors. So he managed to That's have a pro just right a, there. Quite a performance, even though he didn't play. Um, was I thought it was interesting almost watching rubbernecking Warriors fans in this game go through the process of acceptance of Chris Paul, where it was like so much time has been spent just yelling at this guy and the vitriol probably being spewed at this guy. <laughs> and then there was almost like a, a point of acceptance along the, uh, around the time where he was running the second unit and getting some of the younger guys involved. And then at the end, kind of fell flat. Uh, where are you personally on Chris Paul experience after this first game? I don't think he had a, a great night shooting. It was not that I don't think. We know he didn't have a great night shooting. But if you're a Warriors fan and the people who were sober about this deal and why they liked it, it's that he just made sense for making the bench unit functional. This might be the first, as bad as it was at times, you know, personally for Paul, I think this bench unit makes sense in a way that I can't remember the last time Golden State had a functional bench. I, re I really don't know. I I'm talking about six years, seven years of whenever Steph's not in there, it's absolute unmitigated disaster on um, for the bench unit. And I think last night was proof of concept. Chris Paul just makes sense, man. Like, you know, just what he was doing with Dario Saric alone. Just being a functional, you know, big man who could roll and catch and make a layup. And it, it just looked better. I thought Kaminga looked nice in his minutes next to Chris Paul. So as much as the shot wasn't falling, I like the aggression with which he took those three-pointers. In the past, he's been a very reticent three-point shooter. He's not this kind of guy who just catches it, fires it, you know, unconscious, unconsciously. And so I thought some of that stuff was really really encouraging stuff from Chris Paul. He looked pretty spry to me, you know, way more so than he did in the playoffs last year. And so I was encouraged by this because I know it, it like the vision of how they want to use him became very crystal clear last night. And it, and it seemed to make sense. Um, and so I, I don't know. I came out of the Chris Paul thing pretty positive overall. Yeah, once you see the contours of some of these lineups he's going to be involved in. It's like, oh yeah, this makes total sense. Like there was a group out there that was Chris, Gary Payton, Clay, Jonathan Kuminga, and Kevon Looney. And it's like, that's a tough lineup, right? That is a tough lineup that can do a lot of different things, that has enough offense to sustain, that can be pretty, pretty like competitive defensively. And they, you know, that lineup saw very minimal time, but was part of that third quarter run where the Warriors were closing the gap, where they were kind of going on their spurt. I think there's going to be a lot of combinations like that because Chris can help guys like Jonathan Kuminga. Moses Moody had a, an incredible game playing with all sorts of players. Moody got to get more tick. I think he definitely does. Like this might have been some of the best team defense I've seen him play so far. Like reading the game really well, getting deflections, rotating in terms of like showing and help 
Really good stuff from Moses Moody, but good Lord, the second unit, somebody has to finish a single shot in the paint. Like, I, I don't know the shooting numbers for Saric and Gary Payton and, and to some extent Kuminga on like shots within five feet in this game. I just don't want that kind of negativity in my day. But uh, it was brutal. Those guys could not finish. And, and Chris and other mechanisms of the offense were getting good looks for them. If those shots start to go or they're just the, the actions are a little bit cleaner, a little less cluttered in terms of the number of defenders are in the paint, that stuff could really, really help them. Like you can see the bones of something that could really work here. It's just not quite there yet. Yeah, I think Chris makes a lot of sense as kind of a caretaker for the second unit. Um, he looked pretty good. He had that one move where he basically drove past Nurkic, who didn't have a particularly great <laughs> defensive game, especially no. uh, in the second half, where he he didn't really hesitate in order to get by him. It was more he just like slow leaned and then just uh, just spurred by him, uh, which was was interesting. A thirty eight year old point guard just cooked him, <laughs> just blew right great. by him. <laughs> But he clearly, his organizational skills, his, his mastery of logistics is definitely going to be an impact for some of the younger guys. I think I'm just a little worried, a little like concerned trolley that like it does create almost two separate environments where it's like Chris has his time and then Steph has his time. And it seemed like Curry was a little perturbed throughout and he was in foul trouble and so that probably was a big part of it didn't seem to love the elongated break he had while Chris Paul had his Bosch time essentially uh, and then late in the game where Chris Paul just jacked those threes and missed and then Curry got an often uh, he the ball ultimately got back to him and he made it, it kind of like the 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 aura was kind of like yeah I do this shit like can you can you just let me do this and so maybe they'll figure that out but Clearly, there's still stuff maybe to figure out. I, I just didn't think it was that confrontational. Like, I saw stuff from Chris, too, where it was very first game of the season. I'm overpassing to try to make everybody happy, you know, to try to make friends with this new team. And Steph, I agree, was he was in a weird rhythm, like dominant at points in this game. Obviously, he's going to be effective. He's Steph Curry. Maybe it was the foul trouble. Maybe it was the rotation. Maybe it's getting used to a new roster. But like he threw some, he had some turnovers in this game, some awful passes that were just miserable, even by Steph Curry standards. Maybe it was having to play with Corey Joseph, <laughs> which I, I, I'm a Corey Joseph guy, but like playing him and Steph at the same time, I don't know what that, what that is or why yeah. that is. That that doesn't make that much sense to me. But you know, again, it, it seemed like first game jitters. I thought another thing to be, you know, not to get too concerned, Trolley, Looney, you know, I was getting flashbacks of the second round of the playoffs. Why at times Kerr, who absolutely loves Kavon Looney, had to pull him at certain points because the offense just got so bogged down while he was out there, right? Um, he, he, Looney's definitely a fan favorite, but man, the stone hands and the, and the just inability to finish two feet from the basket, it, it's, it gets a little frustrating at points. Do you think he was just nervous playing against Nurkic? <laughs> it's intimidating. Um, yeah, I don't know what to make of, of the Nurkic debut. Because on the one hand, like he had a good start to the game. And you definitely saw the thinking probably that went into the trade that like maybe an addition by subtraction just makes sense of this team a little bit more than having to constantly deal with the dominating experience where it's like <laughs> the ease of use, you know, he's going to muck things up in the paint. He's a, he's a big old Sasquatch, just able to exert a certain physicality into the paint. And it's just like, okay, I can kind of get it. Definitely fell apart in the second half. Uh, the the Chris Paul play I referenced probably the most prominent in my mind that I probably won't be able to forget for a couple of weeks now. Um, but like, you know, in the last play of the game, Devin Booker found him on the roll. He has the hands and, and the ability to, to score on the roll. And that was like, that's enough. And so Rob, where, where'd you end up with Nurkic? Like that play alone is a huge, huge play for the Suns. The fact that when Devin Booker gets trapped on a crunch time possession, you're dumping it to Nurkic at the elbow or a little above on the roll. And he's going in, finishing really cleanly, really impressively. Like those are shots that I don't know that Nurkic is always going to make, but he delivered in a big moment in this one. And I thought he had enough big moments, right? He had enough of these, of these 
times where he's showing up offensively or defensively in the ways that they need. He wasn't good defending in space. He obviously wasn't good contesting out to the perimeter. But he got like he got some blocks. He got some challenges inside. He was big in ways that they needed him to be big. And frankly, like I, you know, the Warriors were sloppy offensively. But I thought the Suns did enough to kind of like muck things up for them overall. Whether it was just like crowding, crowding the lane whenever it was that they tried to drive, or just getting like enough in the way. Obviously, being a presence on the boards on both sides of the ball was really important for Phoenix. I, I think it's a, a decent first look at the Suns overall. They have a lot of stuff to clean up for themselves. And and I think we can get into some of that. And a lot of it connects to just like not having Beal out there and what that does to the rotation. But some some positive signs for how devastating Phoenix could ultimately be. Devin Booker last night, um, obviously, uh, ever since last, not even the playoffs last year, sort of the second half of, of the season last year into the playoffs, he just looked like an MVP caliber player and at points in the postseason he just looked absolutely sublime as just both a scorer just controlling the game making the right reads when he had to his transition you know the fact that he was just pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and attacking with that level of consistency and ferocity you know of course he ended up making the key passes at the end of the game where Golden State, I think, quite smartly decided a Kogi would be the guy that they would help off of. And Booker just made the right reads. You know, his his ability to just be absolutely dynamite in the one-on-one and when you're sending extra defenders, extra help, his, you know, finding the creases, finding the openings. He's just a bona fide superstar. There's no other way to put it. On a night that KD, you know, he didn't look like the, the Slim Reaper or the Servant or whatever um, nickname we were coming up with, KD. Uh, I, he just didn't look like himself last night. And Booker just just took took the challenge and took it, took it himself. I mean, that's interesting, too, because in terms of how the Warriors were navigating those defensive matchups, it seemed like they put, they kind of prioritized Book. They put their toughest defenders on Booker pretty Got consistently. Got and yet he's still scoring over Andrew Wiggins contesting really well. It just like does not matter. I think we could be entering into kind of a Devin Booker era where the contest is pretty irrelevant. Like if you are not taking away his shot before he goes up, like denying him, challenging the dribble, challenging his rhythm before he's able to collect. Once he gets up in the air, it's kind of all on his terms. And he doesn't necessarily have to shoot over the top of you like Durant does, or like some of the bigger, you know, the Kawhi-sized wings do. He just has such good balance and coordination and timing. And he's just such a freaking good shooter. Like, he's just able to convert so many of these contested shots. He, incredibly impressive stuff from him. And I, I do hope, you know, once we get the full Beal, Durant, Booker experience, we're not taking too much away from Devin Booker just being fucking awesome on a consistent basis because this is a hell of a thing to watch. So before, in years previous, we would put Devin Booker obviously outside the staff and even a Dame Lillard tier of shot creator and offensive driver. We kind of had him in the ironically Bradley Beal and uh, Donovan Mitchell tier of things. Obviously, he surpassed those two guys. And I think the biggest thing is just he's huge, man. Like, he's just so much bigger than those dudes, so much more physical. And um, I think just so much more cerebral, honestly. Um, He's just a complete package at this point. And last night, that was on display. That's going to be fun to watch this year. Yeah, I think everyone kind of wrote him off as an even dark horse MVP because it would have been just too hard to parcel out the, the praise pie between him and yeah, Durant. that's and what I was Beal. thinking. Yep. But it almost seems like KD, and again, first game, we'll see. But he is 35 at this point. And I wonder if maybe even he himself recognizes this opportunity is almost as a setup like LeBron and AD had, but just like from year one and year two, where it's like, you're going to be the guy. I'm going to be the guy when you need me to be the guy, but like you have to be the driving force. And I think we were like, there's a lot of buzz in preseason, like, oh, Devin Booker's the best guy in this team. I feel like this is one of the cases where it might be like, not only, (laughs) yeah, like we we saw it, like the results really just have a way of clarifying things where it, it just like cuts through the noise. In a, in a lot I of mean, ways. he's a decade younger than the guy, so you know he's squarely in his prime years. You know, it's it's nice that this is unfolding this way for Phoenix fans. And so, again, this would be exciting. And to be clear, I don't think Phoenix's offense was as dynamic 
um, as it's going to be this year. Of course, they didn't have Bradley Bill. But, you know, what I had in my notes here was that, funny enough, me and Rob were both right about our opticism and skepticism in the sense that even without Bradley Bill, look at what these guys are doing on offense, but... They didn't have Bradley Beal today. Like <laughs> it's just like it's 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 what this team, the story of this team is gonna be. Can these guys actually make it onto the court? And that's where, in the absence of specifically Booker or Beal, the way that bends the Suns rotation is something worth watching. I think we saw it in this game in terms of a rotation that really doesn't have traditional point guard play. And it's the first game of the season. There's obviously gonna be some kinks to work out in the offense. But the Suns had 19 turnovers. They turned it over on like 20% of their possessions in this game. And they still, still you know, the game. they have stars who can shoot the lights out, who can catch fire. And again, having another ball handler in Beal will help seal some of that stuff up and iron out some of those difficulties. But it's going to be something to watch, right? That That is a concern if you're... The, the good side of the outcomes is Booker is kind of your point guard. And he gets into the MVP conversation somewhat on those grounds. Like, this is the guy yes. playing out of position, yes. and he's still so productive, and the Suns are, you know, the first or second seed in the West, and look, at the, their offense is the best of all time by points per possession. Like, that's kind of what the Devin Booker MVP case looks like. But you could also see an outcome where the Suns are first in the league or second in the league in effective field goal percentage, and like, 20th in turnover rate, right? Like, it could yeah. be a big, big problem for them if they're not careful with how they manage all this. And Eric Gordon, who I think is one of the best big shot makers in the league, couldn't hit the broadside of a barn last night. Um, Or as my uh, JV coach would say, he couldn't hit the ocean from the Titanic. Um, (laughs) But but again, these are shots that I expect this guy to freaking make, right? Um, And so... I'm I'm still really bullish on what these guys... Because, you know, there was this sense whenever you... Because we can be critics... In a sense, as, you know, basketball analysts, you know, I use that word quite lightly. Um, but just to be like, well, you know, there's one ball and and who's going to be the point guard and how's this all going to work? Guys, this team's going to put the ball in the basket. They are. Has the one ball thing ever not worked? Like, there's been so much consternation about, like, stars coming together. I'm trying to think of an instance where it just one did not work. Ball, I would say OKC it worked, but it definitely contributed to why Harden didn't want to be there anymore. Why, yeah. you know, it felt like he was expendable because there's one ball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. you can see it in, in those instances, but it not working on the floor? No, that's never happened. <laughs> I think sometimes it folds into like the star teams that don't have great spacing, right? That's mm. kind of what it becomes at kind of our type style of conversation. It's like, oh, Russell Westbrook and Harden out there together, whether it's an OKC or in Houston, right. you know, all of a sudden Houston has to trade away its center because there's not yeah. enough space on the floor, the right? It, that, that's kind of the way say, it goes. It's, it's pretty much just every team with, with Russell Westbrook, right? Maybe. I mean, yeah. <laughs> it follows him a little bit. But again, that that's kind of the consideration. If you can shoot, there is room for you to coexist. Before we move on, I feel like we have to talk about Josh Okogie. <laughs> we yes. have to. Okay. Okay. Yes. So he was excellent. I think we literally have to. Like he he changed this whole ass game. Well, I mean, it's a similar situation at the Lakers, where it's like they have a lot of options for this fifth role. You are saying Okogie clear cut should have it. I think so, just because, especially when you have Beal and Booker and Durant out there, you're going to have enough shooting and spacing and scoring. Like, I get why, in a case like this, you know, you you plug in Grayson Allen, who, I mean, just had the most Grayson Allen game I've ever seen in terms of a really good shooter, just like cannot hit really good looks. Um, you know, Eric Gordon makes sense to a certain in a certain respect, but like, Akogi was an absolute terror on the glass in this game. The Warriors could not keep a body on him. And in particular, he's the exact kind of player who gets better the more talent you put around him. The more people are freaking out about Book and Durant and Beal, the more valuable Kogi becomes. So he's not only going to chase people around defensively, have tough assignments there. He's going to be a factor in these kinds of hustle plays. I mean, honestly, with effort alone, Josh Kogi pinned two loose ball fouls on Steph Curry, got him in foul trouble, and turned up like eight to ten points. 
that that changed this whole game. His work on the offensive boards at a, at a certain point, you need some of these junkyard dog Tasmanian devil type of players to complement all the beauty and the finesse and the artistry of Booker and KD and Bradley Beal. Somebody's got to get nasty. Somebody's got to you know roll up the sleeves and do some of the stuff that again we I say it all the time like that you don't get girls for. Like, you don't make Sports Center for. Like, you don't become famous for. Somebody's got to want to do those things because that contributes to winning. And so if Okogi's going to make himself the guy on this team that's known for that, he's going to be quite valuable for it. That's what Waz told me before this pod. He got in my ears like, you got to get nasty, Rob. You got to get nasty out here. That's why I'm saying we got to fucking talk about Josh Okogi. You're talking about, want to talk about Giannis's extension. I'm like, no. Akogi is where it is. <laughs> we got to do the dirty work, the nitty gritty. <laughs> I was just going to say, like, I've never felt more seen, and then both of you guys talked over me like four times. So, <laughs> great. I look forward to not getting girls or, or, or the money, but <laughs> having to deal with you motherfuckers. Um, all right. Giannis's extension uh, three years, $186 million. I think it was not totally unexpected that he would sign one. I think it was a little bit surprising that he signed one so soon because he himself had basically acknowledged that financially it made more sense to do so after this season. Although even that's a little mixed because the talking point out of ESPN is basically it makes sense long-term financially if he signs this short extension and then another one in 2026. And then because over the 38, the over 38 rule sign another one in 2028. I would like to think, Rob, that I'm conversational at the very least in in like the CBA. I don't really understand what's happening, but I know that it's good for the Milwaukee Bucks, right? <laughs> Exceptionally good for the Milwaukee Bucks. The fact that you're getting this kind of commitment right now, incomprehensible. I, I don't think anyone... Anyone that I have talked to in or around the league expected that this would happen. In part because, as you said, Giannis explicitly said, it doesn't make sense for me to do it right now. And yet he did it. I, I get the mechanisms you're describing that can offset some of the financial difference. But the fact remains, if he had waited and made the same kind of commitment next, next year, it would have been a much bigger guaranteed chunk of money. Just a yeah. massive, massive contract that he would have been able to lock himself into not that Giannis at this point needs generational wealth on top of his generational wealth, but when you're in a position to, why not? So I, I, I'm, I'm a little flabbergasted that it happened just because this is not usually the way NBA guys operate. But you're right, and ESPN is correct, that if everything goes according to plan, some of those financial differences can be offset over time if you sign that sequence of contracts. It's just, it's just crazy that a player, even one of Giannis's caliber, would turn down the kind of guaranteed money we're talking about by just waiting. And I think the motivation for that, the impetus for that, the reason this is worth talking about is that he's willing to do it because they traded for Damian Lillard. Like that is clear as day. We had the Drew Holiday extension inked basically as soon as Drew Holiday was a buck. Now we have the Dame Lillard ex extension inked effectively as soon as Dame hit the court for the first time as a buck. That, that's, a, that's a great bit of business for Milwaukee's front office. I think Giannis signed because he's happy with how things are right now. And also, I think he didn't prioritize this lock-in of guarantee because it's obvious to me that flexibility is more important to him at this point in his career than the overall money is. And I think when this deal is up, I think Giannis will more than make up for the money on his next deal that he's not locking himself into by doing this later. I think people who obsess over transactions will make a transaction about the next transaction, which I think is quite self-serving. I think uh, realistically, as a human being, he's just happy with the way things are going with this team. He feels satisfied that Dame Lillard is a great piece in trying to achieve the things that they want to ultimately achieve. And also, this coincides with Dame's contract as well. You know, um, again, flexibility matters at this level. And if you're Giannis, there's no reason to think you're not going to sign a huge deal after this one is over, right? Um, I think he's going to be fine in that department. So that's all it was to me. I think the reason why he used his contract as a leverage point was that he wanted things to change. 
He got his desired outcome. And now he signed an extension. And guess what? He said, I'm not going to sign the longest possible extension. I want to do flexibility as a leverage play in the future again. Because this shit worked like a goddamn charm this time. So to me, it's obvious why he would do that. Yeah, but it's also, it's flexibility, but also taking flexibility away from himself. So it's like, it is mixed, but I think you're ultimately right. It seems, I mean, he acknowledged himself, like he just wanted to get this over with going into the season. And like, I believe it a little bit more for him, because like you're saying, like money is going to be available for him no matter what. He's in the KD ranks where if he just has a, a like a season ending injury, teams will still sign him to a, like a max whenever they have it available. And so... I don't know. It's a little weird if, if only because nobody else is doing things like this. But obviously, if he's cool with it, the Bucks are going to be cool with it and everyone wins. Yeah, it's hard to argue with it when he's opting into it. He clearly wants it. He seems pretty satisfied with the whole situation. And it's so like unquestionably good for the Bucks. So bra- bravo to everybody. Yeah, the Bucks who in a weird state after Terry Stotts basically kind of walked off the team uh, after getting into a confrontation with Adrian Griffin. Have you guys heard about that situation? Yeah, the like that these guys were getting into fights at practice in front of the team. That's a new one. (laughs) What? That's a new one. I guess it just was like kind Uh, of an arranged marriage, you know, because rookie head coach needs the veteran Mm -hmm. head coach and maybe Stash just didn't want to play that role. Like, I get it, but it was a little weird for a team with such high expectations. And some people could get all Game of Thronesy about it, just the idea that if things don't fly out, you know, out of the gates, this guy who Dame already has a great relationship with uh, is looming as the top assistant and has all of this experience could be the obvious choice to replace the guy. If you want to get Game of Thronesy, I don't know. I don't know Adrian Griffin personally. I don't know. And more importantly, I don't know the extent to which he's tight with the management group uh, and structure that just brought, literally just brought the guy in, right? And so I can't speak to any of that, but it seemed like they were just not getting along at all. Um, and so this this is something that seemed to had to be done. It, it is, a, a, on the one hand, a very understandable thing, as you're saying, was in the Game of Thronesy sense, to be someone like Adrian Griffin, who was interviewed for probably dozens of head coaching jobs at this point, finally got one, and they put this long-tenured former head coach on your staff, I think it's natural to be looking over your shoulder a little bit and feel feel a certain way about that whole arrangement. But Rob, would you rather be coaching the, the goddamn Orlando Magic or some like rebuild? Like This is oh, no, sort no. of the trade-off of, of doing that. It's hard It's hard to parse all this without knowing the specifics, but I will say the idea of getting into a shouting match with Terry Stotts, it's like yelling at a golden retriever or something. Like, I just can't... I don't even understand how it would happen, but clearly some feathers were ruffled on one side or the other, or, or apparently both. Yeah, it's kind of the flip side of the Joe Mazzulla situation, right? Where... Everyone was saying oh, he needed a a veteran coach on his staff, and they went out and got like three or four of them. Uh, it seems like maybe Griffin just didn't appreciate someone looming over her shoulder, but uh, we'll see the impact on it. Um, just briefly, there were just a flurry of rookie contract extensions yeah. just before oh, yeah. the deadline. Um, Rob, do any of these last-minute buzzer beaters interest you, or is one more particularly interesting than some of the others? Kind of shocked that Anyaka Kongwu got a deal that's this... I will say, quote unquote, reasonable from the team perspective. Like that's a that's a player who is going to be very vital to the future of the Hawks. I think could be very valuable for a number of teams around the league. I'm a little surprised he didn't wait out the open market to see what he could get. But again, maybe he's just very happy there. Maybe this is something that can that makes sense and works for him. But four years, sixty two million for a player with a Congo's potential. That's that seems great from the Hawks perspective. That that seems like a, exactly the kind of deal that they would want to lock in. On the other side of that, I, I, I love Jade McDaniels as much as the next guy. Five years and $136 million for Jaden McDaniels. A, a player who I think even in the most optimistic projections we're saying is like a very good defender now. Everything else is kind of up for grabs. An incredible vote of confidence. Probably more of a vote of confidence than I would feel comfortable making, especially for a team That's with Minnesota's finances, right? Like they're going to be pinched 
by Towns contract and Gobert's contract and, and their greater salary situation, and you're adding five years, $136 million on top of all that? To me, I, I thought it was a pretty good team-friendly deal, to be honest. You think so? Um, yeah, if he's $27 million per for what Jaden McDaniels does, a guy who any team can use him, like any team in the NBA would see him as a valuable chip. Like, like literally, all 30 teams would be like, no, this is a guy that right now is going to get heavy rotation minutes on my team, no matter the shape or contours of the team. Like, that's a really valuable guy at his age. And so, to me, man, if they ever wanted to be like, oh, Jaden McDaniels is up for grabs, every single contender is going to be like, wow, a guy with that length um, has shown himself to be a dedicated player on defense consistently and isn't, you know, this is not, we're not talking about Tony Allen here. On offense, there's a lot of tools there on offense, and so I, I thought it was a pretty friendly deal, right? Um, it, obviously, it's like in the Mikael Bridges um, lane, and he's not as good as Mikael Bridges, but Mikael Bridges got fleeced. He took a team-friendly deal. That was a mistake, right? And so I, it's I, practically what Devin Vassell signed for. I think it's like right, right there in the ballpark. So he set the the market. And McDaniel's basically signed it. So, and so I think that's actually an interesting question. Like, would you rather have Vassell or or McDaniel's? I mean, I'm 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 cooked on this matter. Like, I'm I'm a Devin <laughs> I am a Devin Vassell guy. In my mind, Devin Vassell has the kind of offensive potential where you can imagine a scenario where he's like the number two on a very good team and becomes like a fringe All Star level player. I yeah. don't see that for Jaden McDaniel's necessarily, but Jaden McDaniel's is 23 years old already. All like all defense team caliber defender. If he comes along even a little bit more offensively, if he reigns in the foul trouble even a little bit, he becomes a massively important and valuable player. As Waz said, not only to the Wolves but potentially to anybody. So I I, I get the potential you're paying for. I'm just wondering what the arc looks like for McDaniel's from this point forward. Because I I really like him in this context. But it's like this is this is the trouble you get into when it's like I really like that guy as a fourth or fifth guy on a team. And then they start getting paid this amount of money, some of which is the sticker shock of where the cap is going and just the fact that these salaries are going up and up and up. So I'm sure some of it is that for me mentally, but uh, I'm going to have an eye on it. For me, Rob, it's like this. If Carl Towns can get 55, this man can get 27. He can get half of Carl Towns' (laughs) salary. Like, that's the way I'm looking at it, right? Like, if the quote-unquote superstars on your team... In, within the structure that we have in the NBA that was forced upon us by the owners, right? Let's not forget that. <laughs> like, where you have to pay your star the quote-unquote max. If, if Because we live in that world, this kid is worth half of what the max star makes. That's just how I see it personally, right? Um, if he's, you know, a, a, t- a high-quality starter. I just hope that A-Rod is selling enough Levitra or whatever he's advertising these days because well, he's, man, he's this is going to get expensive. Team on, he's paying for this team on layaway. You know, <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys have ever done the PayPal pay, pay, for, pay for it over four payments. I've done it quite a few times myself. Um, he's like doing that with something an NBA from Models. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's doing that with it's an like buying NBA a basketball team. goal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, uh, full slate kicks in tonight on Wednesday. Uh, one thing to watch over the next couple of days was what are you like w- looking out for uh, as some of the sicko sort of games start to kick in here? The the Detroit versus Charlotte 4 p.m. sort of games. I think the Cavs and Nets, because if the Cavs think they're a serious team, they should beat up on a team like the Nets, right? Meaning a good good players, good team, but is a cut below you. You know, like, like they are so clearly below you in quality. I think the Cavs should come out, if they're a serious squad, and put the beats on the Nets. So, to me, that that's the kind of game that I watch as far as perception and where teams think of themselves at and where they actually are. And the Cavs had a, have a lot of questions to answer this season. And, and Brooklyn with the Ben Simmons being back, allegedly, and, you know, Justin's favorite league pass team. You know, I, I, I'm really looking forward to that game tonight. Yeah, Justin, do you think the Cavs can keep up with the Nets? 
do you want to put a bet on that one? Like the mortgage go. for your house? Here we go. I know FanDuel is a damn sponsor, but we can't be just dropping bets every single podcast. If so, we need to get outside the realm of just money. Like I can't, I can't remember which podcast it was, but somebody bet like I will eat a shoe live on air if X happens. Like we need to get a little more creative at this point with our, our I payoffs. will eat my hat. <laughs> I think uh, it's going to be very hard to turn down the Mavs Spurs potential of course, with Victor of course. Wembanyama. I was just but trying to be hipster. Totally, yeah. Well, here's the thing: you watch that game, but personally, first thing tomorrow morning, I'm watching Blazers Clippers. I want to, I want to yeah. see the dominating experience. Yes. I want to see, yeah. I want to see Scoot out there. I want to see what the hell this Blazers team is because individually, there's quite a bit of talent there, and yet collectively, they might be the worst team in the Western Conference. So I, I can't wait to see how that sorts out. And that is the level of my sicko dumb that I'm like, let's let's see maybe the worst team in the West on day one. Let's let's see where they really stack up. I think you said it perfectly because the Portland Clippers game is the game after the slate of games, right? Like you've actually done your work and then the next day you wake up like, oh, I got to catch up on this game and this game. It's like, that's the one, right? It's it's like the palate cleanser <laughs> or whatever the opposite <laughs> of a palate cleanser is. Um, what's funny is I didn't realize, I, I mentioned Detroit Charlotte as kind of like the absolute like bare bones like you are you have problems in your life if you're watching this game it's actually <laughs> on the slate on friday so i'll be can't wait for that one um <laughs> i would just say milwaukee like not only the obvious just seeing dame and, and, and Giannis running that pick and roll and how chris middleton looks but just like defensively like it's shaping up that whatever these guys can put forth defensively might ultimately dictate the title race or, or at very least maybe the Eastern conference race. And so getting to see like the sort of lineups that they put out there, whether Marjan Bochamp can continue on from like a, a pretty excellent preseason, like that to me seems really fun to watch. And like they have the Sixers up first, then they had the Hawks, two teams where you have to really track dynamic offensive guards. And so like, let's, let's see it in action. I get why this is the case in terms of the Thursday slate. And maybe this is just like me shaking my fist at the entire system that is capitalism. But we couldn't get two other teams we haven't seen on national TV this week instead of the Lakers and Suns. You know, like this is a great showcase. Yeah. Yeah, like put Zion on there, Especially put Victor on there, the, put Luca on there. Especially this early in the season. Like what, what's the point of just just running to that immediately again? Like introduce a national audience to some of these other teams. Yeah. You think they'll put Josh Lakogi on the, the promotional photos for it? They Not damn yet. well should. Just, just wait till February, my boy. A Kogi versus Torian Prince this Thursday on TNT. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, let's, uh, let's wrap it there. We'll be back on Sunday uh, around the same time that the pod went up last week. Uh, thank you to Eduardo Campo. Thank you to Benjamin Cruz on production. Uh, we'll be back in a few days. Enjoy the games. We'll see you.